0: understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer, this recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight, and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hey, everyone, welcome to the podcast. I just came home from spin class been doing a lot of those. It's basically a nightclub for cycling. I don't know why no one told me about this, but it's a lot of fun. So if you guys are one of those people out there that are opposed to group, group fitness classes, you're like, uh, I don't know, I like, I'm I'm a solo workout person for sure when it comes to lifting weights, but for your cardio, check out a group class. So so much fun. But anyway, I today's podcast is going to be an interview with Renee Sager. She is a fellow coach. She is all about how to just eat normally and repair your relationship with food. And even more than that, um, I just love Renee. I've been following her ever since I started my own coaching business and started my Instagram. And I just found her in that community. Um, She struggled with bulimia and alcohol, um, alcoholism and all of that sort of stuff. But she is just one of a kind in terms of her personality. And we start off our conversation right off the bat about how she can be so confident and what she's like. And she just has a world of amazing things to offer. So I really, really want you to gear you up for this interview. I think it's going to be a good one. We just have a really fun conversation and she's just hilarious. So if you don't know who she is, go check her out on Instagram and listen to this episode and I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, we really touch on some key points and I think you'll relate quite a bit to her. And she's very different than me in a lot of ways too, which I love. Um, Renee's like kind of crazy and fun and blah. And I, I think I'm a little bit more reserved than her. Apparently she's an introvert as well, but I think it's fun that our personalities, they mesh a little bit, even though she's just completely different than me. And I think we differ on some opinions too. So it'll be fun, um, to have her on. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you guys enjoy this. And also remember group coaching enrollment for my October program. That's a program coming up where I'm taking seven people. It's going to be very small and tight knit and we are going to be coaching together for three months. This group coaching was specifically placed so that it's going to take you through the holidays and give you support from me and other people and go through the program. Um, I'm excited. And uh, if you are interested, you can check that out in the links below or go to my website and you'll find a link there as well. But check it out. If you're even at all kind of like, hmm, I wonder what that is, You can sign up and go look up for more info. But anyway, other than that, I'm feeling really good on emotional high. So I'm going to let you guys listen to episode. I'll step away and yeah, bye. I know. I know. It's like I talked to Renee, it's <laughs> happening. It's going go away. So, we can cut out whatever, you know, it's nice that if you record it and then yeah. live things always freak me out cuz it's like <gasps> who knows what you're going to say, but yeah, it always works out.
1: Yeah. I never actually edit any of my podcasts, so I'm like Let a rip.
0: (laughs) Good for you. Out
1: of my mouth needs to be out there, apparently.
0: (laughs) Well, how do you even, um, I guess, let's start right off the gate. How do you even get to that point of being confident enough to just let whatever, like, let's say you make a huge mistake, how do you just let it go out? You know?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny growing up, my mom always said to me, Do you ever think before you speak, Renee? and no the answer is still no um you know i i think that how do you get to that point i mean really we all mess up we all say things that we're like oh that was stupid the thing that makes it worse is when we try and like backtrack and be like oh what i meant what and it's just like mm-hmm. it just makes it massive instead of just like okay like you just let it roll off the back of your shoulders or whatever, right? Because when we stop and we try and fumble over our words and make sense of it or or whatever, it then kind of like draws attention to it instead of just, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like trying to cover up a zit and you like put all this cakey foundation on it instead of just like, hi, I have a zit. Do you know why? Because I'm (laughs) a Can we just move the hell on with our life? right? And there's just so much of this that we try to make look perfect. And I think something also for me that has been validating and helped me become more confident is the, the, the amount that I receive when I am, right? I didn't like come out of the womb super confident. And in fact, I had many, many years where it was like debilitating anxiety. I didn't want to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I was worried. Everyone was thinking about me when I walked into any room, but then the more honest and transparent and just human, I let myself be the more people were drawn to that. And so it's like, we spend so much of our life trying to be this like robotic person that looks perfect, acts perfect, eats perfect, exercises perfect, has the perfect job. And it's like, I mean, those people are out there, but they're not my people. Like I I don't relate to that at all. Like I want to have fun and be real and have hard conversations and talk about real life stuff. And that doesn't mean that you don't try and you don't be nice and you don't prepare and you don't do nice things and and that, but it's just like giving yourself that permission to be human, to be like, yeah, I totally didn't do this right. I'm going to do better Mm -hmm. next instead of just completely shutting down, making it a huge deal, you know, this would be something if I ever said something, uh, hurtful to a friend and it was just like, oh, it kills you. Why did, yeah. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? And then after, like, I really thought that I was going to have stress ulcers because I was just always so on edge that I was like, oh, I, I was, I was sure I had ulcers and it was just that constant. Thr- you know, of anxiety going. And so I just had to get, you know, with practice to that point of like, I'm going to apologize. And that's, that's all that I can do. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that is the the best that I can do sitting here and working myself into a panic attack. Isn't going to be helpful for anything. Like I'm Doesn't just take creating, back
0: what you said.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm just creating all of this unnecessary suffering. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to own it. I'm going to admit to it. I'm going to acknowledge it. And then I'm going to do better next time because that's really all that we can do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What? I agree completely. Even though I'd say I'm still working on that being unapologetically, just kind of you and then like if you make a mistake, just owning up to it and not necessarily yeah. worrying, you still, like you, you said it beautifully too. It takes practice. You can be like, okay, I'm not going to worry. And then your brain's like, but here, here's the work. Yeah. <laughs> so here it does it take is. time. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to get to that phase. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because- for those people listening, like, I think that you, um, your Instagram, I followed you over a year ago now. Um, but the thing that attracted me, me to you most of all was just that you were like unapologetically, unapologetically you so Mm -hmm. confident and so funny. And yet, and because you weren't afraid to make a fool of yourself, like some of your dance videos are just (laughs) so hilarious. And I just, I was I was watching and I'm like, I can't imagine putting on a suit and (laughs) doing the things that Renee does. It's just, but it's so admirable. And you're right, people see that. And, you know, sometimes Instagram, I can't scroll too often because- even the people that are trying to do good things on Instagram, they're always just like smiling and it and like everything's happy and it feels just pisses you off a little bit. I really yeah. <laughs> like it. So I always yeah. like your your Instagram is just a breath of fresh air because it's very confident, it's very uplifting, and yet it's silly and it's you. And you definitely say things with, with when it seems like there's no filter. And now I kind of know why.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. And, you know, I think that that's kind of, part of my purpose on this life is that I don't, because I have practiced this for a while, I, I, I love to give other people client or not just random people on Instagram that also that permission to just be free, right? We all live in these like what I equate it to is like this glass box. We're in this constricted glass box where we're like, don't do this, just say that, just eat this, just do this, just do this. And it's like, oh my gosh, we have got to break out of that. And and you, it's easier to like get a boost of endorphins from me and be like, holy shit, if she's doing that, I can do that. And Mm -hmm. then, and then it kind of ripples. And then when you show up more authentically, it gives your people that permission to show up authentically. And then, and, and, and then it's like, we just get to be ourselves, which is something that we, I think all start out as and then as we grow and get older, we're told don't do this, just be that. And we're, we're given all these ways to mold and manipulate ourselves. And then the second part of life is like, hold up, let's break out of this and let's figure out who we are again now. And, and it's just, for me, it is, it is freedom. It is pure freedom to be able to just be me And to also let other people be them. And that doesn't mean that you need to have gold metallic bodysuits and dance around on Instagram. (laughs) This authenticity. Exactly what you need. Yeah. Authenticity Mm -hmm. is different for everyone. You know, you don't have to be outgoing. You don't have to be crazy and loud. It's just whatever it is for you owning that. Like if you are the introvert at the party, which I actually am a bit more introverted than extroverted, like okay. Yeah. I just don't really like parties. Like there's this one guy, his name is Chris. He lives in Portland. He was my friend's friend, but we went to this nightclub. It was called Blow Pony in Portland. It's this big gay dance nightclub. It's so fun. And he takes a book and sits at the bar and there's like (laughs) music and strobe lights. And he's just like, okay, (laughs) like read it. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like to just own that. So him doing that kind of would then, you know, I would kind of suck up that energy too and not make it mean, Oh, I guess I need to be quiet, calm, reserved. I need to chill out. I was like, look at him. He doesn't give a shit what people are thinking about him. He's literally (laughs) in a nightclub reading a book
0: and I, you know,
1: yeah. so then it's just like, we all just get to be our truest self, which is the most fun.
0: Mm-hmm. It's much less exhausting too. You're not trying to keep two versions of yourself, like the oh. one that is actually you, and then yeah. the person you put out. That person that you put out that is fake just uh it drains me every time trying to be someone that you're not. And so many yeah. things to upkeep in your mind. I love that. Mm-hmm. I would totally be, you know, I've gone to nightclubs and I'm I don't bring a book, but my whenever <laughs> I've gone to a baseball game with my family, that my yeah. family's like sports fanatics, but I hate it. I always bring a book to read. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I hate this. So yeah. yeah, just owning that part of you. That's great. Can I, I feel like oh, we're going to switch gears a little bit, but, um, for those that want to first introduce you because yeah. <laughs> formally, but guys, this is Renee Sager and she's, um, she's a life coach and she helps people actually find food freedom and the war with food, that sort of stuff. And she also just like we've been saying, helps people with confidence and being themselves and loving life. But I brought her on just because obviously, as you guys could hear, I really do admire her in a lot of ways, but you also have kind of a history with, um, an eating disorder and just turmoil with food and, um, some relationships with alcohol too. Can yeah. you just tell us like, you know, you're here, this shiny person who gets in metallic body suits and dances yeah. around. Um, what were you like before all of that? Mm-hmm. What was your history with food and that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, like I wasn't, I definitely didn't come out the womb like this. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I came out the womb, like a tightly round rubber band. I was very anxious. I was very just like kind of on edge. And I just have a lot of memories as a child of, as my, of my mom saying that just like, Oh my God, just chill out. And I, I was like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't even know what that means.
0: And so I was <laughs> one chill. like,
1: yeah, I was just constantly on edge and just like a tightly round rubber band, frequently just waiting to snap. And I I started finding st- some relief from that anxiety. I also had some relationships with friends in in middle school that just started getting really hard. Like I kind of started getting pushed out of the social circles and all the friends that I used to have were no longer there. And so that just kind of added to that anxiety of like, nobody likes me. Nobody likes Mm -hmm. me. Nobody likes me. And what I, I found was that I could funnel some of that pain, discomfort, fear into diet and exercise. And so Mm -hmm. I was, I started getting interested. Like I was always kind of into sports. Uh, I played a lot of soccer and stuff. And so I was somewhat active and I just started running a little bit more after school I started, my dad was pretty into fitness. And so I, we had a gym downstairs. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do some of this stuff. And, and what started out as harmless, you know, I'd started getting interested in fitness and and nutrition and buying shape and oxygen magazines. And of course, at that time I was 14, 15 and my body was just like very receptive. So I kind of had this combination of controlling my food, focusing on exercise, not having to worry about being pushed out of relationships in, in school. And Mm -hmm. I funneled that anxiety into my food and exercise. And then also I started getting a lot of compliments about my body changing 14, 15. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, this is hard for people. This is easy for me. Let's do it. Let's go all Mm -hmm. in." And that's kind of my, my personality is like, Oh, we don't do things a little bit. Like we go all in, <laughs> and so it just really took off. You know, I I did what many people end up doing is like obsessively tracking all of my calories. I had Post-it notes filled with like tracking how many I'd eaten that day, and always trying to go lower and lower, and always trying to run further and further, and and doing crunches at night. And it became this what was once like I think I'm gonna go run for thirty minutes to. I have to push myself to, I think I'm going to eat this to like, I'm not eating anything. And it was just like this switch. There wasn't necessarily like a day or a thing that I can remember. It was kind of gradual, but it also happened really quickly because Mm -hmm. I eventually, I just got, you know, the compliments from, oh my God, you look so good. What are you doing? Tell me what you're eating. And it started going to, you look so are you okay talking to my mom what's wrong with your daughter she should see someone and I was just like screw all of you guys leave me alone this is my life I'm going to do whatever I want
0: and
1: Mm -hmm. it then I you know my my I would restrict so severely during the day and thank god my body does what a body does when it's deprived as I started binging at night and Mm -hmm. my food It just got, it got so exhausting that I couldn't trust myself to eat anything during the day because it was like, once it started, it literally felt like I broke through the seal and I would, I did, I had no idea how the day was going to go. I was like, if Mm -hmm. I have school, if I have appointments, if I have soccer, like I can't start eating because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stop. I don't know if I'm going to binge. I just need to, I need to not eat for as late as I can. So then once I do start eating, I can just like let myself eat.
0: Oh, it's like reinforcing the cycle of binging, you know, Mm -hmm. hardcore.
1: Yep. And so I would binge so much at night and everyone would go to sleep and I'd go out into the kitchen and I'd eat a loaf of bread and I'd heat up soup and I'd eat cereal and tortillas and I would be so full that I couldn't even stand up straight. And I would just like (laughs) fall into bed in the fetal position. And then I'd wake up, no food, work out, right back at it. And mm-hmm. I did that for quite a while. And I, I really felt insane because I was like, why can't I stop eating? And I, I really didn't make that connection. And I was terrified to eat earlier. Cause I was like, I, I just can't, my day goes haywire if I start eating and, mm-hmm. and, and this is the, the only thing that I can do. And I had been eating so much food. I was like Googling, can I tear my stomach? Because it was just so painful. And mm-hmm. I remember one night I had eaten so much food and I went into the bathroom and I threw up and I was like, Oh my God, this just got real mm-hmm. as if restricting and binging wasn't really that bad, but like <laughs> growing up was serious. Mm-hmm. And I still think that it gets that label and I can talk more about that in a little bit, but I don't know that it's that helpful. That it's like bulimia gets taken so seriously, and all this
0: stuff. Over here. Like, doesn't. Yeah. yeah, I'm like it's I don't know.
1: Like, yeah, we could talk about that, but you know, <laughs> I started throwing up, and I remember like being terrified, but also literally in that moment thinking, "This is the key. This is mm-hmm. the key to everything I've ever wanted." And for a little bit it was. I started mastering it. Like I, I started becoming a professional bulimic. Like it took up my entire day until I didn't have a choice anymore. Similar to the restricting and binge eating, my bulimia, it it was like taking a breath. Like I couldn't not do it. It consumed everything about me, everything I did, jobs that I took, relationships that I had, everything revolved. And I was like, constantly doing the equations to like, okay, when are they going to be gone? When can I binge? When am I going to burn it off? It was Mm -hmm. like, I never stopped. It never stopped unless I was asleep. And that went on for years, almost 15 years of binging and purging multiple times a day. Like I, I, I could, I consider a lot of my binge and purge episodes, like really violent, like just absolute insanity, dirty gas stations, throwing up in bottles, uh, stealing food, like just everything. And I ended up going to treatment for a couple of times and that was okay. I never had any problems in treatment. Like I went to treatment. I was like, oh, you're just going to bring me my food. Like, this is no problem. Like I didn't there, I went Mm -hmm. to treatment with like a lot of anorexic people and they wouldn't eat their bread and they didn't eat mayonnaise. And I was just like, let's have it. Let's eat it. Like, I want this. I wanted so desperately, like I loved food and I wanted to eat it. Like I had kind of, I had outgrown that anorexia phase. And so I was in this different phase and I was like, I I just want to eat some food and not lose my mind. Like, I just want to eat right. a sandwich, not seven. I want to have a bowl of ice cream, not three cartons and a thing of cereal. And, mm-hmm. you know, I went through a couple cycles of treatment and I ended up gaining a little bit of weight and, and my weight kind of stabilized. Finally, it was at this point, but it was still this, like, I was never really free of it. Like it was just this, still this, I, I often give the example of it being like a hundred pound backpack that I would just kind of have to put on every morning. And I'd be like, okay, here we go. Like just me and my bulimia just coming everywhere. Right. Like I never got that freedom from it. And, you know, it was, it was not hitting rock bottom because as you mentioned early on, I was also, I kind of forgot this part, but when I started throwing up, I really also started using alcohol. Like my bulimia uh, okay. got, my bulimia, sorry, I skipped that part. My bulimia got so bad that I, um, I realized that when I would drink, I wouldn't eat. And when mm. I didn't eat, I didn't throw up. And so I was like, oh, finally, because I really just wanted to be able to like sit down and watch a movie at night. And yeah. so I was like, oh my God, I can drink this. I don't want to binge. I don't want to purge. This is so enjoyable compared to just like the Tasmanian devil life that I had been living in. Unfortunately, alcohol kills you much faster, especially when you drink the way that I did. And so um, that started at like 17 or 18. And I went to my first rehab. I had cirrhosis of the liver at 20. My doctor, like oh, I was wow. in the emergency room and my doctor's like, you will die if you keep doing this. And so I ended up getting sober and took that out. But then the, the food stuff just kept going. And I was so frustrated because as people were addressing the food, uh, the alcohol, I really felt like they were missing the big piece, which was my food. I was like, listen, if my, if I didn't feel so insane around food and, and my body and all of this, like, I wouldn't have wanted to drink. And, and so mm-hmm. I really felt like a lot of my problem was getting neglected. And it was just like, let's get sober, stop drinking. I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. But what about the food? Like, mm-hmm. ah, it just made me yeah. feel insane. Um, and then, you know, as I gained weight and looked quote normal, people really assumed that I was normal and that I was fine. And nobody really knew because I was very much a functioning bulimic slash binge eater. You know, I, I had yeah, jobs. You're not going to
0: tell everyone about it yeah, or let yeah. them in on it.
1: Yeah. I had jobs and I had relationships and I, I had some money, not a lot because I spent a lot on binge eating, but, um, you know, I was, I was doing life and, you know, for me, it really got to the point of wanting better. And so this is what I was talking about before I remembered the drinking piece is that often in AA, they talk about oh, she hasn't hit her rock bottom. She just hasn't hit her rock bottom. And for me with food, I was like, I don't feel like I can get much worse. Like, (laughs) I don't know what else I, like, I can't get much worse. And it really wasn't like the switch that kind of flipped for me wasn't hitting rock bottom, but it was like, I want better for myself. Like Mm -hmm. that was really the thing that switched for me was my food was okay. Life was pretty good. And I was like, I'm so tired of this thing coming with me everywhere that I I don't, when I five years from now, I don't want to still be dealing with this. And so that Mm -hmm. was when I really kind of buckled down and I was like, whatever I need to do to just like be done with this. So I can think and just exist in my life with with ease. I'm in like I am so I don't care what it takes. I'm willing to go to any length. And that was really when I started doing my own work um, and and learning about intuitive eating and learning about you know health at every size and learning about stress and emotions and all of that stuff that I felt didn't really ever get talked about or maybe it didn't I just wasn't in the headspace. Things just landed differently at that point. So
0: yeah, Um, that's kind of some of my story. It's gonna thank you for sharing that first of all. It was a really good summary of everything. It's hard to fit your entire story into a short segment, right? Like, what do I even where do I start? But no, it's interesting you mentioned that like maybe those things were there because in my bulimia too like a lot of the things that i found later had been there the resources yeah. have been there and i just wasn't looking for them wasn't wasn't uh in tune for them a lot of times because when i was a bulimic i don't know if you can relate i was just always looking for weight loss advice i never oh, yeah. once looked up mental health advice like how to you know love your body the only thing i read was brain over binge and that's it and that like mm. i read it it was helpful but then I still spent three more years in bulimia. So it just, (laughs) and then it wasn't until I found um, Corinne Crabtree's podcast, which was a weight loss podcast, thank God, because then she talked about how to love yourself as well. And like my management and that's what got me into, oh, maybe I should be like working on my brain. (laughs) That's what, yeah.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I would see dietitians and- you know, personal trainers and everything. And I was like, just, just give me the meal plan. So I lose weight. Okay. Like <laughs> save your shit, like, just give me the meal plan. So I lose weight. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, these are the, the kind of clients that I love working with is that you really have exhausted all of those, because I honestly think that we have to, I really think that we have to go through all of that to get to the point of I'm ready to do something different. because I did the same thing that I think a lot of us go through. And and that's because our society puts such an emphasis on maintaining this thin, thin figure that it's like, I just, just tell me how to stay thin, just tell me how to restrict successfully, which is, I think what a lot of people out there sell, like, I'm going to help you restrict successfully. However, it rarely successfully works. Um, and so I think that we go through all of that and then reach this point, which I don't know about you, but I reached where I was like, I just, I'm willing to try anything. Like I was so ready to just be done with it that I didn't, I didn't want to diet. Like I had done so many diet plans, programs. I mean, 12 step meetings for food, not buying food, eating all the food, not taking my credit card to work. Like you name it, I tried everything. Mm -hmm. And so I really had kind of exhausted all of my efforts that I was like, okay, please just, I'm, I'm willing to do anything.
0: Yeah, I still lost some weight after recovering. However, it was from a much different place and it was for very mm. different reasons. So, yeah, I did kind of put it on hold and I was like, I'm just ready to try something else. I don't even care. I was already at my heaviest weight when I was in bulimia, too. And I was just like, I don't even, I just needed to yeah. be done with this. But then after I'd recovered, I felt very like um, out of breath all the time. Very like, it was hard for me to go upstairs and and I felt just like sluggish. So Mm. I did. And I also like, wasn't really loving how my body looked. I didn't hate it though. It didn't come from that deep seated hatedness. I was just like, I don't feel my best. I think that we can make changes that would better our lifestyle. And, Mm. but before it was always from this desperation place of like, if I could just lose weight, then I'd feel better. And that wasn't, actually the case. And it sounds like you kind of reached that point too, but how did you then even just start to pick up the pieces there? What did you try? How did you recover?
1: Um, You know, I really just kind of decided, you know, for anyone with bulimia, like, I don't know how you teach, but this is from my own personal experience is that the purging has to stop first. (laughs) Like (laughs) you, like that just, and that's the hardest thing. And so that really was my first, like, no matter this is what I'm doing, like this has to stop first. And I got to tell you, Jacqueline, I went through some really big eating episodes where I was just like, (laughs) like maybe I'll just throw up this one time and maybe I'll just do this one time. And over time, when you eat enough food consistently your body doesn't continually binge right like when you really develop that trust with food and your body and you know you're going to be fed adequately that intense desire to open all the covers and panically eat like peanut butter with a spoon ah like ma- that just out of control feeling it just quiets down because you've mm-hmm. fed yourself enough you've balanced out your blood sugar, your hormones are okay. So that was really the first piece for me was like, okay, I'm going to not purge no matter (laughs) what. And that, you know, easier said than done. But like, that was really the pivotal point for me where I was like, okay, let's go.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's really hard to stop binging when you are hungry all the time, or you don't really trust yourself with food or you're not getting enough food. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it's not that it can't be done, but you're going to make it a hell of a lot harder that way. So completely agree. And the purging, um, I really like, even after I'd recovered and stopped, I still had so many times where I thought about purging that still sometimes like, I don't know how far you are from recovery. But for me, sometimes I still get a few urges to perch. They're faint. They're like yeah thoughts freezing in the wind, but it's yeah. just, it still comes up and it's like, oh, we could just do it this one time. And it's like, what? No. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so I and I love, it, it keeps you in it.
1: I Yeah. I really like just kind of that normalization of it though, too, because I think, you know, I've been sober a bit longer than I've been in recovery with my food stuff. Uh, I've been sober for 12 years and I still, still think about having a drink and it doesn't it doesn't mean I'm close to relapse it doesn't mean I'm bad it doesn't mean I'm not doing (laughs) recovery right and I think that that's a a huge part of just like normalizing this process too of yeah okay so what so you want to purge okay like you want to eat uh, you're stressed out and you want to go to the store and buy an entire sheet cake like okay I think when we can kind of normalize some of those thoughts it just is like so relieving and freeing because then it doesn't control us, right? Like if I started wanting a drink or wanting to binge and I panicked, first of all, a huge reason a lot of us binge and or purge is because of emotions. We're stressed out where we can't manage mm-hmm. stress. And so all that's doing is like actually pushing you to binge eating faster instead mm-hmm. of just, oh, this is what I want to do right now.
0: Right. Okay, Yeah just treating it as if it's a thought of as if it's just something your body is suggesting, but it's not a command.
1: Yeah. And then we don't have to react to it. And so I, I like that too, that you just talk about that and it's like, okay, cool. Like there's the the thing with the the thing that's really different from drinking and eating is that drinking, you quit, you quit it, right? You just stop. You just don't drink. Mm -hmm. Eating is like, wait, what? So I like, I just (laughs) don't binge, like, but I, I still have to eat, you know, that would be in my brain was like, okay. So you, that would be like the equivalent of saying, okay, Renee, you're going to be in recovery from alcohol, but you can have three beers a day. And I'd Mm -hmm. be like, what, like, this is never going to happen. And so, uh, that with, with the food stuff, I think it's so important to remember that it isn't aligned in the sand. Like you're going to have days where you eat a lot of food. You're going to have days where you don't get enough food. You're going to have days where you feel gross in your body. You're going to have days that you feel amazing in your body. And just mm-hmm. really remembering that this is on a spectrum and, and taking again, some of that intensity and just like, I have to do it right. It's like your food is never going to be quote, right. Like you're going to get sick and you're going to lose weight. And then you're going to vacation. And you're going to gain weight. And then you're going to, what? who knows? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter what happens, I'm going to be fine. Like that is the freedom that mm-hmm. is like, oh, I can, I can, no matter what, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Right? When, when uh, talks about um, eating disorders as the misidentification as food, as a threat. And that's, that's a lot of what I think mm-hmm. that we often would struggle with. And so when you stop seeing food as a threat and you're just like, okay. Just like food is water, food is is nail polish, food is food. It's just like really normalizing and neutralizing how you see food because then you can exist around flour and sugar and not lose your mind, right? This yeah. is this is something that I have found to not be so helpful with bulimics especially. I mean, I... First off, I just want to say I'm assuming a lot of your listeners are bulimics, and I my Mm -hmm. I love bulimics. I love bulimics because they're like so (laughs) go getters, and I often find they're really funny, and they're just like, oh, I just think that they they have such a I relate to the personality a ton, but I Mm -hmm. think that no flour, no sugar, um, and more rules around, especially with bulimic women, is is so unhelpful. I know for me, when I went to OA meetings, FA meetings, and it was like, follow this meal plan, cut out flour and sugar, weigh and measure everything. It right. just like fed into that anxiety. And, you know, I could hang on for a couple of days, but then I was like, fuck it. I can't, I have to eat. I'm like, I'm going to start over tomorrow. And mm-hmm. so like re- releasing some of those rules is, is really, for me, was so helpful in just feeling normal around food.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have yet to find a way that I could not have flour and sugar in my life. I'm sure if they made flour and sugar illegal tomorrow, I would survive, you know, I'd be like, all right, I guess we'll have to do this. But it just, whenever I try to do something that is, you know, unsustainable. I'm not really prepared to give up cupcakes for the rest of my life. It just really puts this box around you and makes that more taboo and enticing and that forbidden fruit sort of thing. And it feeds into that anxiety that you're talking about of like, I got to keep track of this. And it also just I don't like cutting out those things because it makes you, it reinforces the belief that you can't be trusted around that food. So when you yeah. do have that food, you don't even yeah. try to like have a healthy boundary with it. Cause you're like, fuck it. It's the fruit. Yeah. fruit so whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people, I have talked to some people where they like, that works good for me. And I, I don't, if when I have sugar, I just become a different person. I'm like, you know, okay. If it works for you, it works for you. I just haven't found in my own life and commonly when I work with people I doesn't seem to work for them either did your dog just come in
1: yeah <laughs> yeah so cute Hi, <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: um I was gonna ask you uh I was gonna ask you about body confidence or something else about food that you said that I really related to oh yeah so with bulimia though you know, when you were with those anorexics, obviously they need to push themselves and eat more. Right. Yeah. Um, but with bulimia and binge eating in particular, there is like, you have to draw healthy boundaries. You have to kind of like, be like, Hey, I don't need the whole sheet cake. Just one piece mm-hmm. is going to be okay. One or two pieces even would be mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. How did you, if at all, was it just eating that food that for you worked or, and then the desire to eat tons of food lessened, or did you have to practice any healthy boundaries? and try to reinforce that?
1: Oh gosh, I am a a big rebel. I, a lot of the people that I work with don't quite have the rebellion I do. You know, my boyfriend still talks about it to this day. Like he knows, do not put any limits on me because I will break through those like a bull. Like I just (laughs) hate being restricted. And I think a lot of that came from 15 years of my life being restricted in some way. Even when I was bulimic, a lot of that came from that restrictive mentality, right? And so it was just like the fine, it was like taking your broth at the end of the day where I was like, when I started binging and purging, I was like, finally I'm free. And so mm-hmm. like, I hate restrictions. For me, the biggest thing was allowing myself to eat it. Uh, it. It was really allowing myself to eat it. I talk about this a lot that in like the first six months or so of my own recovery, I had cereal and ice cream every single day. I was just mm-hmm. like, I got to do this. I got to do this. And then eventually for me, I was like, I don't even like, yeah, the ice cream sounds good, but I don't want it. So I, I first developed that trust with the food that like, okay, I can eat it. The second piece that I didn't know about for a long time after was the mental restriction that often continued to lead me into binge eating. So for example, if I would have started eating ice cream, but the whole time I was eating it, I was thinking, Oh my God, what am I doing? I shouldn't be doing this. This is going to go against all my work. I can't believe this. Okay. After this stupid bowl of ice cream, I'm never buying it again. I can't believe I bought it. That (laughs) would just really feed into a course, me going back for another bowl of ice cream, maybe not that day, but the next day, because there was still so much of that anxiety. So a lot of it was that self-talk of I'm literally doing nothing wrong here. I'm allowed Mm -hmm. to eat this ice cream and I'm going to actually sit down and enjoy it. I'm not going to do 17 things while I'm doing it. I'm not going to buy Halo top. I'm not going to have two tablespoons and pretend it's satisfying. Like I'm going to eat a bowl of ice cream. Mm -hmm. And just that allowance around food for me really was like, okay, I can be safe because I think a lot of people when I, when they come in and they're like, listen, I don't restrict, I don't restrict, listen. And I get it. I was the same way. I was like, if you saw what I ate, trust (laughs) me, restriction is not a thing. And I'm like, okay, maybe physically you're eating more than you need, but why? Why are you eating more than you need? Are you getting enough of the major macronutrients is every single time that you do have cake or ice cream or a a roll, you're thinking I'm bad. I'm wrong. I shouldn't be doing this because that is as big of a problem as physical restriction. Like Mm -hmm. both of them are going to lead you to binging. So it was that allowance and addressing that mental restriction piece for me that was just like, Oh, okay. That desire to binge was just like significantly reduced.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think restriction more often than not is mental more than anything. Um, Because and especially, it's really hard to feel okay eating the ice cream when you just have that constant track in your head. I find a lot of times when I ask clients about you know the last time they binge and if they were eating some ice cream, and they're like, it just like it was gone so fast and it wasn't enough. And I was like, well, what were you thinking about when you were eating it? And they were like feeling yeah. guilty the whole time. They were thinking about when it's going to be over, they're never going to yeah. have it again. Even though they're literally having the ice cream right yeah. then and now, but yeah. they don't enjoy it because their mind is somewhere. It's like, you know, having sex, but you're not thinking about it at all.
1: Yep. Like, yeah. yeah. Where no are you? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. I mean, and sex and intuitive eating are I are so similar, right? It's like when you're completely shut off from your body, you can't, sex doesn't feel good. You're just like, Oh, let's get it over with. And the same thing <laughs> with ice cream, right? You're just like, Oh, okay. Let's just hurt. Cause you're so panicked the whole time that you don't mm-hmm. actually get to taste it. So you might as well just not eat it because you know, um, Sarah, the binge eating therapist has, I don't know if she's the one that originally created this, but she said, we think about food all day long until we're actually eating the food. And I was like, yes. damn, that is so mm-hmm. true. Like I never really thought of that, that we obsess, obsess, obsess until we actually eat the food. And then we're like on our phone, looking, watching TV, doing all a shopping online, like doing a million and one other things besides mm-hmm. eating the food.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And God, that's another thing. Like I just sit down and pay only, only attention to food. Like don't go on Facebook. Yeah. I still, of course, I'm a human being. Like I eat food while watching TV and sometimes and stuff like that. But it was really important for me to practice just sitting down, having nothing in front of me and eating whatever I was eating and being there with it. It's not a common practice I always do anymore, but it really helps you actually enjoy the food and mindfully eat and feel a lot more satisfied.
1: Absolutely. And you made such a good point there about it's not something that you have to do all the time. And now and I think that that's so important for people to remember as they kind of go through this work that like what you need to what you need to do in the first year of your relationship with food stuff is not what's going to need to be done forever. Like it's really Mm -hmm. not so really give yourself the the space the love, the compassion, whatever it is that you need those first six months to a year when you're really just kind of like, ugh, like still not feeling super strong around the food and body stuff, because it will get stronger over time. And then, and then you can just have pizza, whatever, right. But if you're really mm-hmm. not at the place where you can sit down and just eat, eat pizza or keep tons of chocolate and cupcakes and, and snacky things in your house, like you don't have to be there yet. Like let yourself be wherever you are in the process and and that's going to look different for everyone. You know, uh, with alcohol for me that was a huge thing. I mean, I remember I was in my first year or two of sobriety and one of my friends was having his 21st birthday and I wanted to go so bad and I was like I can't. Like I have so much anxiety about doing this. I can't mm-hmm. go. And I had to ask my mom to take all the alcohol out of the fridge. I was like I don't think I'm going to drink it, but I just, I can't, I just, oh there's something about that. That's making me so stressed. And now there's beer downstairs. I don't care. I go to bars. I don't care. You know, there's mm-hmm. chocolate in the cupboard. There's Twizzlers in the cupboard. It doesn't matter. But early on, it was just like, okay, this is what I need for myself now. And I know that this is going to be temporary. So letting yourself have whatever it is, as you go through kind of these phases.
0: Yeah. That's a good thing to call out. Cause a lot of people think, do I have to do this forever? I should, they look at, you know, you or me and think I should be there already. And yeah. that's, you know, we have more time under our belt. We have, we went through that. Uh, the things yeah. that I did initially in recovery aren't the same as what I'm doing now. And totally. there's sometimes a gap there. So it is important to just give yourself leeway. If you need the extra support, it's like training wheels, you know, you need yeah. them and then eventually you'll, you'll be off on your own.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about this on a walk the other morning um, because, you know, as your clients, I'm sure too, are real go-getters, overachievers, and they're like, I just want to be there now. And it's like, Mm -hmm. if you were in, if you broke your leg and you were in a cast for months, you wouldn't, the day you get your cast off, go run a marathon you have to start with some physical therapy. And this doesn't mean you're going to have to do physical therapy forever, but you've got to strengthen that muscle up and then you can run the marathon, mm-hmm. do ultras if you want, who cares, but at least let yourself build up this muscle in the beginning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit, cause I, yeah. I think you do a great job of this. Um, how do you even begin to like and appreciate your body. Cause I, I struggle with that still sometimes. And I know mm. a lot of my listeners, like it's, you know, sometimes, sometimes people are the phase too where they don't even want to look in the mirror and they avoid it at all costs. And I have, I have one client who she just like, she's working on it now, kind of getting dressed in clothes. She actually likes, but she usually wears yeah. like baggy clothes, just like not yeah. to even look at it. How do you yeah. even, where do you start there?
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. That's such a great question. I mean, my body has been a variety of, of sizes and mm-hmm. at my heavier weights, like I relate, you know, I used to tell people before I would hang out with them. Um, like I know that I gained weight. Yeah, I would oh. like preemptively tell them like, I just want you to know that I know that I look like this. And it's, it's, it's temporary. Like I'm working on it, but I need you to know that I know I'm not okay. And just that (laughs) constant, just, oh, it breaks my heart to think about doing that. But you know, it was also a process for me, something that has helped is, well, first of all, when you're not binging and purging, like, I just think that doing that, like when you stop doing that for me, my confidence went up so much because when I would binge and purge, I would feel so shitty and so guilty that I would kind of try and overcompensate the next day because I was like, I just felt so awful about myself. And so really starting with just eliminating that piece was like a huge mood booster. And when you don't binge and you're not, especially purging, like the swelling in your face starts to go down, the bloating and gas starts to go down. Like you just Mm -hmm. genuinely start feeling better. Um, But then in addition to that, um, you know, this is something I have every single client do that I personally did too. I actually didn't do this until a few years ago. And even then I'm like, wow, this is actually really still helping me is to follow women your size or larger on social media. Like, mm-hmm. and, and and not just like like, like the Ashley Grahams of the world, not just beautiful hourglass plus size women, like women would just like quote normal bodies, like just larger women, women your size, living life. We got some tummy rolls. We got some soft arms. We got some neck stuff, like whatever, but just really seeing normal women, like I'm using this in air quotes too, normal women, like living their life uh, was huge for me. Also uh, exercise is a big one for me. Like when mm-hmm. I, when I'm active, I, and I feel strong. I feel really good. Even if when I look in the mirror, I'm like, hold up. I don't, you mean I don't have abs? Like, wait, what? Because I'm pretty sure I feel like I have abs right now. And there's clearly no abs. Like I feel strong. Like exercise makes me feel strong. And, and I really want to say that exercise today is significantly different than exercise 10 years ago. Like Mm -hmm. I will genuinely go into the gym and I'll be there for 15 minutes. And if I'm tired and I'm bored or I'm not feeling it, I leave. Whereas before it was like an hour and then hit and then run after it and then bike to the gym and bike home and blah 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 blah. And you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I'm going to, it's like so boring. I'm just going to go to the gym for 15 or 20 minutes, but it really helps me boost my own confidence in, in feeling strong and lifting weights has been really helpful. And then exactly like what you said is buying some clothes that freaking fit your body. Like that is the, easiest and fastest way to like your body in my opinion is buy some damn clothes that you like. Like stop squeezing yourself into this. Stop trying to pretend that you like that. Like go out and buy some pieces of clothing that you like in the body you have today. And mm-hmm. it's out there. Don't settle with stuff that's like meh. Nah. Like really like it. You know, really like it. And the last thing I will say is is really just kind of taking some time to do some things for me where like, whether it's a face mask, whether it's painting my nails, whether it's a manicure or pedicure, whether it's getting my eyebrows done, you know, a massage, but just like something to kind of slow down. That makes me feel pretty. I made a post once I have this stupid thing that you like do your, on your face, it's supposed to take off the dead skin. I don't think it does anything, but when I do it, I'm like, I feel extra proud of myself. I'm like, ah, look at me. I'm like spending this extra time doing this. Right. It's starting Mm -hmm. to prioritize yourself. So those are really some of the biggest things that I think can help with body image. And also just remembering like some days just suck. Some days, especially for women, God help us like once a month for about a week, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. so much weight. And what's wrong with me? And I'm breaking yes. out like, God, it's, it's rough. And you know what, just put on the sweatshirt, put on the leggings and like do your thing. And really remembering that like, oh yeah, it's just my period, like right on, right on time. Um, mm-hmm. and knowing that like, perfect body confidence and and loving or even liking your body every day is a very unrealistic expectation.
0: Yeah. No, my uh, boyfriend, he once said something to me like a few months ago where he's like, I don't think anyone feels hundred percent confident in their body all the time. And I was like, yeah, that's true. You know, people have bad body image change. It's just that a lot of those people that aren't struggling, maybe with what we struggled with, don't let it completely ruin them or make it mean that they're, less valuable as a person or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. I, I completely agree that everything you said, um, well, even, I mean, even following people on Instagram, it's still like taking care of your mental health, but mm-hmm. it's prioritizing you, you know, it's, it keeps teaching these little things that you're doing for yourself, exercising. When you make time for exercise, you're making time for you. When you take care of your body, you're making time for you. And when you're buying clothes that actually fit you, you make time for you. I had such a hard time buying myself a a larger size. And it's so funny because I'm naturally built like just a little bit larger, like I'm Uh taller, wider, like I'm never going to fit into a small, extra small. And yet I would always like, want to squeeze into it. It's like, why you look so much better in just a (laughs) size up makes no sense, but you just get obsessed with that size and you make it mean something that it doesn't. Uh.
1: Yeah. Well, and women too, I mean, we're really fed the message that our sole purpose on life is to stay small and not age. Like really (laughs) that is deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained in, in us, in our society, in our culture. And it doesn't matter if it comes at your own mental health costs, right? Mm -hmm. Like as long as you look okay, everything's fine. And so I think really taking it back to how do I feel Like, do I, do I like this exercise? Do I like the, the taste of this food? Do I like the feeling of these clothes? Like what makes me feel good? The purpose of my body isn't to just be an ornament, right? Isn't just for me to continually Mm -hmm. manipulate it. It's like, my body has such a bigger purpose than just that. And really tapping into that and just doing things that you enjoy right whether it's strength training whether it's kayaking whether it's crocheting whether it's sewing (laughs) one of my clients really started getting into sewing dog little bandana things and like so putting that energy that would once be spent binging, obsessing about food, obsessively exercising. It's like, let's put it into something that you actually enjoy. And that's not to say that you can't find that love or excitement from exercise, but like, what else is there too, right? Adding, adding Mm -hmm. more stuff into your life.
0: Yeah. I think that, um, you know, looks, appearance, it can definitely be a part of your life, but it can't be everything and it most certainly is not everything and appreciating your body for what
1: you're gonna age like
0: i know it's gonna go away
1: beat it (laughs) yeah unless Mm -hmm. you just die and then like so if we're lucky enough we're gonna age and and it's like how can we age gracefully how can we age with like dignity and pride and feel good about ourselves
0: Mm -hmm. you know what i thought age pretty gracefully um she was on, oh my goodness, she was on Freaky Friday with um wow Lindsay Lohan she yes was, what is her name? Is it Jennifer or something like that? I feel so bad. She was just on a new movie, like a mystery movie on Netflix or whatever, or uh-huh. maybe Amazon Prime, but mm-hmm. <sighs> bothers me oh well whatever it's gone it's gone now but yeah aging with grace is so so important and it it is gonna go away and like even you know you can pay attention to your looks at all phases of life but I really when I started looking at my body for what it could do and that it's really just I'm thankful that it's alive first of all so nice that I have hands hands and thumbs and eyes and things like that but it's it's a vessel to experience life with um it's not necessarily for anyone else, but you, I heard something interesting, um, a while ago that really made me stop and think that, um, it was about women and attraction, but that women are always trying to be desirable. And this person said something along the lines of, you know, why don't you try to be desirable for you? You know, it's like, it's it's different. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm always like focused on what my body can be to other people why don't mm-hmm. I focus on what I want it to do for me and mm-hmm. appreciating it and, and desiring my own body? Like mm-hmm. who would have thought it's yeah. a nice concept.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. I know I've taken up a lot of your time and yeah, um, I appreciate you being on here and everything. Uh, what I always like to ask people before they leave, first of all, what what's one thing you might say to someone with their, who's going through, whatever type of, I think you said Tasmanian devil sort of whirlwind of bulimia, which i liked. um, what's some, what's like a parting piece of advice you would give to them?
1: Oh gosh. I would just say like, if this, if this resonates, like if you, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, I kind of always had this like flicker of like, I think I'm going to get it. Like, I feel like I, ugh, I think I can do it. It's just like, don't give up. Right. There is no timeline that you have to achieve this by, but I would really just encourage anyone out there that's just kind of in the depths of it or in the throes of it to not put a lot of pressure on themselves to get it right, right away, but to just keep taking these little steps, listening to the podcasts, reading, educating yourself and trust that you, this is one thing thousand percent possible for you too. And, and mm-hmm. adding that pressure of like, Oh, when am I going to get it? When am I going to get it is not going to be helpful. And so it's just like, okay, I'm going to trust that this ha- this is happening for me. What's the next thing that I can do? Because I just like, Oh my gosh, my decade and a half of life struggling with bulimia was just It was so hard it was so hard and i just it's 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 i would never wish it upon anyone it was just such a life suck um and so i Mm -hmm. really just hope that people out there are listening are like I hope that you take a shred of hope. I hope you take more than a shred, but I hope that you continue listening to Jacqueline's podcast and just finding support to to help you on your journey because, you know, that was what it was for me. I mean, I, I tried so many things, treatment centers, therapists, counselors, personal trainers, right? And I had to get through, I had to go through all of that stuff to kind of reach where I am now. So I would really just say, keep going. Absolutely. Keep going.
0: Oh yeah. That's so heartwarming. And, and you're right. When people start, I find this too. Sometimes people start working with me and they put all this pressure on themselves to get it right away. And it's like, no, 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 you (laughs) you don't know your timeline. Let's calm down. It's okay. And even just like, what is the next step? You said that. And I think that's such a better way to look at it Mm -hmm. than, you know, what is the one thing I can do that's going to change everything? It's like, no, what, what can I do today that might make things a little bit better and it would help.
1: Yeah, that's huge is like staying in today because nothing will make you want to binge or purge more than thinking about tomorrow, tomorrow's dinner, later tonight, next week, what they're going to think of you. And so really just like, okay, today is my only job. Just, I'm just, this is it. I just have to make it through today. Whatever happens tomorrow, I don't know if I'm even going to make it. So all I'm
0: going to focus on
1: right now is this meal today.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to be honest, I still do that a lot with my own business and everything now. Totally. <laughs> it's totally. harder for me. I'm still trying to be that person. You know, I, I plan quarters a little bit and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, a lot of times I'm like, okay, what do we need to do today? And it's still, mm-hmm. it's just like these baby steps help everyone. You don't yeah. have to have your whole life plans to be successful or anything like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of podcasts that you guys could listen to, where can they find you, Renee?
1: Yeah, they can listen to me on Ditch the Binge. Uh, Mm -hmm. Got a podcast there. I'm also really active on Instagram. It's just at Renee Sager. So you can find me both those spots.
0: Her her podcast is fabulous. I listen to it. I I like it. Give it some love and everything. And it's also very honest and unfiltered. Plus you have um, a lot of great guests on there too. I must say, I'm always following you and seeing what guests you're i oh, and like how did she do that i'm gonna have oh. um hopefully maybe i shouldn't say it on here but uh she has been i think it's jen cesario she oh, was on I'll the pot- mm-hmm. yeah. yeah she cool. will Oh, no, 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 no. She's not that one. Um, Judith, Judith Gatan, sorry. Oh, Judith, That's...
1: cool, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I don't, Jen's, they're both amazing, but I don't have the viewer about us yet. But okay. Judith from um, the Life Coach School podcast, yeah. she's gonna be on here talking about style and fashion. But, yeah. Oh, so it's like, God, she's yes. so
1: great. She's so great. Your people are gonna love her. She's a hoot. And she's just like really real. Like, I think you're really gonna appreciate her honesty and just how she comes
0: to life with things. She's, she's so great. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That's why I want her on and everything she teaches, I think, would be valuable. But yes, listen to Ditch the Pinge, um, guys, <laughs> if you haven't heard already and go to her Instagram and everything. You're fabulous. Renee, thank, thank you for being on the podcast oh, today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I love the work that you're
0: doing. I, it's so important. I'm so glad you're doing it. Thank you. Likewise. Hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out the Binge Breakers Recovery course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com recovery course.